Welcome to the comeback, baby. Welcome. We're back. We're in lockdown like everybody else. And we have some fancy new microphones, courtesy of Paige. You're very, very welcome, sweetheart. Because Paige has some exciting news that I think you can share with us. Yes. Um, I, too, will be doing yet another podcast, just like everybody else on the planet, it feels like. Uh, I'm launching an actual play podcast uh, later this year or at the beginning of next year, depending on how the lockdown extends. Uh, it will be D&D, but sci-fi. It will be great fun, narrative focused, very queer, very diverse, and we're really looking forward to it. And Elle is going to be on it. I'm going to be in it, yeah, along with a bunch of other, other friends. We're going to be running a continuation of the campaign that Paige has been uh, dungeon mastering for us for the past two and a half years. Two and a half years. It'll be three years this September. Yes. So the overall plot idea is... Well, you guys will hopefully have saved the day if everything goes right this summer. And we'll be picking up two years later asking what happens when the galaxy has been turned upside down and inside out. Of course, if we don't save the day and we all die, yeah. Paige may have to do some rewriting. But Paige loves writing, so that's okay. That's true, that's true, that's true. And uh, obviously we'll have to make sure that everyone uh, who listened to this has been mind erased a la... Uh, Men in Black, so that nobody remembers that we were going to do a podcast about any of this in the first place. But I'm sure you'll all live. I'm sure everything will go just fine. We'll be fine. So, we're back. So, we might as well jump straight in with the elephant in the room. Coronavirus. Coronavirus, yes. <sighs> the Rona. I do enjoy seeing all the names for it, like the Rona. That's my personal favourite. I think quite a few people were a bit sideswiped by it. Yeah. The startlement of, oh, this is serious. Okay. And life might never be the same again. Cool, that's fine. Everything's fine. Is oh, it? Yeah. I definitely underestimated it mm. and then very rapidly recognized my mistake and was like, oh, no. OK, well, I guess this is our lives now. Yeah, I have certainly gotten used to it um, eventually. I mean, initially, the lockdown was supposed to be three weeks and then reviewed and it's become a sort of rolling mm. indefinite thing at this point. Um, we actually have some polling on that, which might be good to open out with. According to a recent YouGov poll, 13% of the public would find it hard to cope with the lockdown if it was extended until June. So most people are like, yeah, I could do with that. But um, when, that, when you ask them about September, that rises to 59% would find it difficult to cope. And October, 64%. And um, January, December, it's around 70% would find it very difficult to cope. Which I think makes sense in both financial and mental terms. That's a lot more of a strain mm. the longer you go on. Yeah, of course. And you're missing the sunny months of summer, which are typically better for people's mental health anyway. Like if you want to talk about uh, SADS or seasonal affective disorder, it typically hits people hardest in the wintertime. So you're kind of missing out on those key months, which are quite good for people's mental well-being. It's the months where they see the family and go out for picnics and go on holidays. So it makes sense to me that people would struggle with the summer being gone. And yet, uh, people are quite readily able to put aside their own feelings about the issue 
and accept that it's necessary mm. to keep people safe. I mean, the most recent polling from YouGov just before they reviewed, so earlier this month, showed that 77% of voters supported extending the lockdown beyond May 7th and just 15% opposed it, which I think reflects a lot of people being like, this is very difficult for me, but I understand why, which is, I mean, my own personal interpretation of it. Like, I'm finding it quite difficult, but <laughs> I would never suggest ending it prematurely right. or, or indeed, um, I mean, one of the problems with, the government's position is they were like oh the scientists are advising us uh, we're doing what the science follows yes but your job as a government is to listen to what scientists say about something like a deadly pandemic and be like we'll be even more careful than that we'll make sure you say we need to lock down for five weeks we'll lock down for 10 you say we need to start lockdown in uh, a month's time we'll start it now because your job as a government is to look after the welfare of your people so if the science, if the science says we need to end the lockdown in six weeks, I'd be okay with them saying actually we'll end it in you know eight weeks, ten weeks. I'm picking numbers out of the air. I don't know, but the point being, I as much as I'm finding it difficult, I wouldn't go out and suggest that we end it. Yeah, because it's not about me. I would be rather fed up and alive than oh I got my McDonald's and. You know, I'm enjoying my chips. And that is a genuine example. I'm not making fun of anyone. I miss McDonald's so much. Me it too. It's unreal. They do not sponsor us. I do not want a sponsorship from McDonald's. But I really do miss my McDonald's <laughs> order. But, like, I would rather go without and just... It's not... Like, it is difficult being in lockdown and missing out on a lot of the things we love and a lot of the places we love and the people we love, of course. But it's much better to be safe than sorry. And it is much better to be safe than to infect people who are vulnerable and people who might get more affected than we are. Like, just because I'm healthy doesn't mean I should, I have the right to put people at risk. Is this a, a subtle reference to a certain government advisor page? Because we're recording on the day when it came out that Dominic Cummings has not only broken the rules regarding lockdown, but he did so twice. It has upset a lot of people. Uh, majority of voters, 52%, think that he should resign from his position as advisor to the government. Uh, but anyway, so on that topic, actually, one thing I found interesting was that opposition to extending the lockdown was highest amongst 18 to 24-year-olds. 20% wanted mm. to extend it, and support w uh, for extending it was lowest at 65%. Why do you think that is? I think a part of it is the risk assessment because young, like, cause you are young, you do feel undefeatable. You feel unconquerable, you feel unassailable, you feel lots of other unwords to do with um, finding it impossible to find, like, to understand the notion of being someone who can be struck down by this. I think there is a real risk assessment, a risk assessment problem involved. Um, I also think that it is part of being young right now is you have quite limited and difficult prospects. Mm. So for a lot of these people, they can't just enjoy enjoy being stuck in their homes all the time because a lot of these young, young people are either being forced to move back in, in with their families or a lot of them will be on lower income because they're younger and they'll be struggling to pay rent on salaries that have disappeared or on salaries that now come from jobs which are 100 times more stressful. I think there's that's I would say that they are younger people are more likely to be uh, disproportionately affected by 
um, things like rent and by job prospects at the moment. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Mm. I think that a large part of it is the economy. And I, I wish that they'd broken it down in terms of 21 to 24-year-olds mm. because those groups of people have very different economic conditions. Many of the people who are 21 to 24 have just graduated and they're looking for mm. jobs, whereas people who are 18 to 19 are more likely, not universally, um, to be university students. and or university students or minimum wage workers. Well, indeed, yes. Like I said, not universally. Or apprentices as well. Mm. I don't even know what's happening with apprenticeships right now. Can you imagine? No. But, uh, but so, like, this age group of people are most likely to be most likely to be in the middle of job searches which have been completely evaporated by the lockdown and I speak from personal experience here I, I've been finding it myself quite difficult to find employment at the moment and frustratingly I was just about to get an interview when the lockdown began which is incredibly infuriating um, I just wish they'd given it to me like one day earlier yeah. one, one day unfortunate timing yeah I mean there have been a lot of people who've been caught by this in just un unimaginably unlucky ways mm. like um I know of some people who've been made redundant who were made redundant right before um everything happened and a couple of them went on and immediately got jobs and a couple of them were like well I've been with this company for like 10 years I'm gonna take like just three weeks to myself before I pick up my new job i'm going to take some time out before i start no. my next job and then obviously this has happened the new job has evaporated and they are now stuck because they uh, left their role too early to get furloughed from their old employer so like obviously that's not the majority of people but there are some people out here who've been really caught in the teeth of this thing and it's really really unfortunate it's why the, the whole furlough scheme is insufficient because you have to have in this kind of context where there is no economy functioning, some kind of universal basic support. And universal credit is not good enough because it's too restrictive, it's too limited, and there's not enough to really live on. Mm. And the government's been so resistant to the idea of universal income because they know that if they accepted it as a principle, they would never be able to get rid of it because no one would let it be got rid of. There's a reason why the NHS has lasted for however many decades uh, speaking of the furlough scheme, so of the two of us, um, Elle is job hunting and I am furloughed at the moment, Yay. which is an interesting experience uh, because technically on furlough, you are not allowed to do any of your employer work for your employer, which is absolutely fascinating as a concept. Mm. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm currently furloughed. It's a weird experience. I've seen people calling the furloughed folks lazy and saying that they shouldn't get any money. What? Um, oh, yeah, this is quite a popular opinion. It's absolutely bananas, in my opinion, though. Yeah, currently I can't do any work for my employer. I'm not lazy, though. I don't see why... If, if Paige is the opposite of lazy, she is incapable of not doing stuff. Oh, fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's fair enough. That's a very fair... Call, called um, out. Very fair call out. To put it in a positive in way, to relax. Paige is incredibly hardworking no, and dedicated. Paige is incredibly hardworking and dedicated. <laughs> Essentially, I've seen people call the furloughed, which is a really bizarre and a little bit apocalyptic. It just feels like a really zombie-esque description or categorization in, in when I say it out loud like that, rather than in my head. Um, I've seen people call the furloughed lazy, and that's a wild opinion. What's your takeaway on that, Elle? Pretty shocking. From the polling I've seen... Most people approve of the government's employment mm. support packages, yeah. which is good, but it does leave a substantial minority who don't approve, and mm. that's probably those people. Probably those people. But it, it's, it's, it's very easy for people who 
have, I'm going to say it, it's very easy for boomers to go around who have already gotten out of the employment market and are living off big retirement funds. Some boomers, not all. Well, and equity. And equity. Um, for To go around saying, oh, these lazy people, they don't want to work. It's like, particularly when they're talking about people younger than them. Mm. I would love to be working right now, which is... Obviously, a lot of people would find that a wild statement, but I would love to be working right now. I genuinely enjoy my job and graphic design. Graphic design is my passion. Yeah, no, I, I love my job and I really want to get back to creating and making uh, gig posters and making assets for social media. But I'm literally not allowed right now. Because um, in order to qualify for furlough, you have to be able, your employer has to be able to prove that you are out of work at the moment so that the government can cover your salary. And I mean, I create designs primarily for events, and obviously, we can't really have student events right now. Like, it's not really possible. You can't have a, a big room full of two thousand mingling kids from all over the country and from outside of the country too. Like, that, you can't have a crowd of people who are mingling in that way, especially when they're from such like from all over the place. A page works at, at a university. Oh yeah, I work at a university, um, the one right on our doorstep, funnily enough. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so that's a really wild take on the furlough scheme that I've seen coming up quite frequently. Um, so what do you think of the government's plans to decrease the furlough contribution from the government? Unbelievably stupid. Very, 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 very questionable decision. Uh, I would like to direct this at any government official who would ever hear it my question is my question for the daily briefing would be um so what about the charitable sector um so what about uh, sectors and companies that don't have the big deep pockets and can't afford what about events management companies what about anyone who doesn't have that deep pocket who relies on an income from things that can't happen right now like they aren't going to be able to match your contribution what about things like the West End and Broadway and etc.? Like they aren't going to be able to have any shows till next year. Thing is, these are all things that the government. There were leaks in the press, discussions in the media that the government was going to scrap it completely um, when it last had its review, but it didn't happen because trade unions were so strongly opposed to it. And effectively, I, I've seen this point made by. Um, other people with regards to the U the the US and their response to it but even though this government's ideologically opposed to the idea of the state supporting the economy and paying workers directly i mean enormous numbers of people millions are now paid directly by the state which is mm. incredible and not something i would have considered possible in my lifetime uh at quite an advance at the state it's necessary it's fundamentally necessary to keep the economy running so either you relax the economy restrictions as you wind down the furlough scheme or you keep the lockdown going and you keep the furlough scheme going. You cannot relax just one because it will have consequences that mean you have to respond by bringing one or the other back. As much as the Tories do not like the fact that their government has to pay people to not work because it goes against every fibre of their being to do that, mm -hmm. they have to. Because there's no way that the economy can stand still like this without the government pumping money into the economy. It's just not possible. Mm. And 
unless you want to be the government that presides over the complete and total collapse of society, you will have to do that no matter how much you don't want to. Uh, literally, what is the alternative to the furlough scheme? Like, you're going to end up with millions and millions of people out of work. Yeah. Because essentially everyone who's furloughed well, would so lose their job. You're going to end up with the United States. Yeah, so the US unemployment rate is the highest since World War II. Mm. At least since World War II, I think it may be the highest since the 1930s and the Great Depression. And that is, I mean, unimaginable levels of um, unemployment. And how, what kind of long-term impact is that going to have? Especially if that were to happen in the UK, which was, this is what would happen if we got rid of the furlough scheme. Um, we would end up with similar levels of unemployment. Let's round off this section with uh, the final stats that I thought were interesting about Publics beyond the lockdown. Mm. Um, the government's recent changes: forty-nine uh, percent oppose them, thirty-five percent support them, mm. uh, and fifty-four percent think that the changes go too far in relaxing the rules. So, even though people are saying it would be difficult for them to carry on and cope with uh, the lockdown if it carries on too far, um, they're still opposed to relaxing them because they know what's important. Yeah. Also, sixty percent think the new rules are unclear. Which I'm sure that recent events have reduced that number, thinking that the government's being clear, right? Mm. Everything's great. The government's not being unclear and failing to apply its rules to its own advisors. So let's do a polling roundup. Hey. So since the general election, the Tories have been quite far ahead in opinion polls. Their natural honeymoon period after winning an election coincided with a national crisis in which lots of people are saying, oh, well, I need to support the government. The government's looking out for us. I'll support them in polls. But that is beginning to erode and fall away. Uh, the percentage of approving of the government's performance has on um, coronavirus has fallen from 65% in late March when the lockdown began to 39% uh, this weekend. And Boris Johnson's approval rating, net approval rating, is now less than Keir Starmer's. So in terms of voting intention, the average polling this month has had the Conservatives on 47%, which is down four points. Labour on 35%, which is up four points. Lib Dems on 7%. <laughs> Obligatory pause for laugh. Lib Dems on 7%, which is unchanged. Uh, SNP 5, up 1, Green Party 4, the same. Which would mean a Conservative majority of 82, slightly higher than in 2019, but down from the 156-seat majority they were estimated to win in April. And in terms of seats, that would mean the Conservatives winning around 366 seats, which is 37 less than they were estimated to win last month. Labour on 202, same as they have now, but 33 more than they were estimated to win last month. SNP on 50, which is 2 more than last month. Lib Dems on 8, which is up 1, and others 24 unchanged. So Starmer's making quite a bit of progress. And in terms of his approval ratings, Kiss Starmer is doing really well. Mm. And I mean really well. On average, Kiss Starmer's 39% approve, 21% disapprove, which is a net rating of plus 18. Compared to Boris Johnson's 49% approve, 37% disapprove, which is a net rating of plus 12. Which means even on average, taking account into account all the polls, including some that show Starmer's approval relatively low, still positive but relatively lower, um, Starmer's approval is higher 
than Boris Johnson's, which was not the case at the start of the crisis. Boris Johnson's was stratospheric. Uh, not anymore. So he's doing quite well since he won, especially given the position he started from, which is the Tory, Tories just won a landslide and now we're in the middle of a national crisis. Mm. I mean, how, how have you thought of Starmer so far? I've quite liked him. I think he comes across as intelligent, as very articulate, and that he really knows what he's talking about. I've really enjoyed him every time he talks to Boris or to another senior Tory, and he just kind of really, really delicately dissects them live on camera. It is very enjoyable to watch. What word would you use to describe how he responds to them, Paige? I can see that you've written on the sheet forensic, and I would agree with that. It is very forensic. He just really takes them apart piece by piece, and it is very it is enjoyable to watch. It's just that everyone uses that word. It's like they don't have a, a thesaurus. <laughs> they just keep using the word forensic over and over again, like it's some sort of like, dare I say it, some sort of cult. Um, <laughs> and they just keep repeating it over and over again. But no, I, I, I've I, been, I mean, as people listening will know, I voted for Rebecca Long-Bailey. I still would prefer her as leader in terms of ideology and policy. And as a person, I just like her quite a lot. But Starmer has impressed me in terms of his performance. Mm-hmm. He hasn't necessarily had the politics that I would have liked to see. I'd have liked to see Labour being a lot more forthright in terms of challenging the government. But I think that Starmer's approach, it certainly made him relatively popular. Uh, and I think it's entirely possible that he's hanging back in terms of criticism, building up a commanding approval lead, and then dunking on the government. I think with the authority of being approved by the population because they trust him. I think that may be what he's doing. It may, may not be what he's doing, but I, it, it would make sense because if people are more likely to listen to the Labour Party if they trust its leader. Mm. And one of the big problems that we've had is people didn't trust our leader. Mm. I think it would be a good technique so. if that is what he's doing. It would be a smart move, uh, especially given that we do need to kind of build up respect mm. among the general public. So that would be a really, really good tactic for him to take. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed what I've seen of Keith Keir Starmer so far. Like, it's very cutting. I think that it would be very difficult, as much as I would love someone to be like, for God's sake, <laughs> what the hell are you doing to the Tories? I think that this approach is the only way well, that will work at the moment because the media is so Tory biased. It's so on the Tory side of things. Like, Boris can do no wrong. <sighs> Big sigh. We need someone who is going to not be inflammatory, it's just going to be very calm and present present the real situation in a way that can't be argued with or shouted down by the tabloids. I think Keir Starmer's capable of doing that. I think some people have been surprised that, despite his increasingly substantial lead in approval, he hasn't translated that into Labour being ahead of the government in polls. But there are two things that I would say to that. The first is that it takes a while for opinion polls to change. Sometimes an event will happen and people will be like, why didn't the polls change? And then they'll change about three weeks later. Because there's often, it takes a while for people's opinions to feed into saying how they would vote in a general election. And so I think when you look at these approval ratings for Boris Johnson compared to Keir Starmer, I think you will see and are seeing Labour's percentage in polls creeping up and the Tories creeping down. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about this month's polling, because Labour's gained in the polls at different points over the past year. 
but it hasn't been from the Tories, not to any substantial degree. Mm. There was one month when the Tories went down by one point and Labour went up by one point. In this month, you've had Labour take directly from the Tory vote share or, you know, maybe mobilise more people. But in terms of vote share, the Tories have gone down and Labour's gone up. And that's that's exactly what we need to be doing. We, mm. we can't simply swallow up the Lib Dem vote as much as I would like to see that. And indeed, <laughs> we kind of already have. What we need to do is win over older people, leave voters working class voters in the Midlands and the North who voted to get Brexit done. And to my surprise, Keir Starmer is doing surprisingly well at that. I think that's very good. And yeah, I would very much like to see him succeed and very much mm. like to see him win because I think that the government he leads would be very, 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 very progressive, um, very centre-left and very social democratic, which is probably the limit to what Corbyn would have been able to do anyway because of the centrist nature of the parliamentary labor party mm. yeah i think that his government would do a lot of good for a lot of people um not everything i would want to do but neither would corbyn i think starmer stands a better chance than corbyn of getting uh, some of his ideas through as well and getting the vote on them because he does come across as he comes across as what people view as clever and distinguished and good leadership he's a white man he's a white cisgender man i mean the thing is so was comes across as very intelligent and articulate people do like to vote for that i suppose in all fairness so was corbyn but he yeah. was um he w and he was an old white man as well but he also had a beard and people thought he dressed a bit scruffily which i thought was unfair i thought he well, had very good suits his manner as well like stomach the way he speaks the way he dresses the way he conveys himself and the the level of passion he throws in is, I will say, less than Corbyn's because Corbyn was a very passionate guy. But that seems to be working. He was passionate on occasions. He'd like keep it and then bring it out on occasions. Sometimes he'd be like, the prime minister is making a very big mistake and I am outraged about it. And be like, whoa. No, I, I think um, the way to do it right now is just to have that kind of cool advice approach. I because think, yeah. things are so heavily biased against us that we have to be unflappable. There's, it's, it's really treading a very thin line, mm. is Keir Starmer at the moment, because on the one hand, you want to oppose and criticise the government and make them do things better, while knowing you can't actually make them do it because of their majority. And on the other hand, the public aren't really and haven't been really in the mood to criticise the government, particularly when... Particularly when earlier in the months, the government seemed to be doing what they needed to do, lockdown, testing, etc. And people didn't really see much that they could have done more. And now they're beginning to see that, hence the government's approval going down and down and down. And obviously those of us like me and, and you and, and those mm -hmm. listening and Starmer himself knew the government was not doing enough and knew that the government was not prepared enough and hadn't done enough. But most people were not convinced of that. And now I think they are. And I think they're more receptive now to criticism of the government. Mm. Um, and you've seen in other countries where some oppositions have gone in, full in, criticised the government, like in New Zealand, where the Conservatives have really criticised the Arden government very ardently. The Conservatives there are collapsing in the polls and uh, the Labour Party in New Zealand is zooming upwards to an I incredible degree. And, and their election's in uh, September, I think. So that's going to go very well for Jacinda Ardern there. I do think part of the public swing away from the government is with the schools, like the kind of the, roar, yes. the roaring rows about what's happening with schools, what's happening with kids, because most people have a kid. Most people have a close friend who has a kid or a child who is now grown, who has a child of their own. Like kids are kind of an inescapable fact of human existence. 
And therefore, it's really hard to not have a stake in what's happening with the schools. Uh, I, I should say, what's not happening with the schools. The government is being incredibly uncommunicative with the schools themselves. Um, and essentially, most schools are just kind of being left to fend for themselves and work out for themselves what to do regarding COVID and safety for the kids. And let's be real, for the staff, mm. because children might be less affected by COVID, but the staff are adults and because of the teaching crisis a lot of the staff who are teachers who actually have managed to stick it out in the profession are older like it's yeah what do you do if you're a victorian rural school and half your teachers are over 60 totally not from real life experience or anything mm. well we've been going for a while yeah so uh we should bring this to a close mm. um it's been really good to be back uh i am sorry that we were gone for a while the election was a very traumatic event for a lot of people, including me, in including you as well, I think. Yeah. And it, it took me a while to feel confident enough to do something like this again. And at the same time, as I mentioned before, I've had lots of job searching, taking up my time, but I hope people understand and it's good to be back. So before we go, I wanted to ask people to stay safe, stay at home, and uh, I hope everyone's doing okay in these very difficult times. Goodbye. Goodbye. For now.